Hey guys, welcome to episode 14 of the Penzo Street Physio Podcast. Here we have more questions. Um, thanks for sending them in. So the first question is, what is better to use for squatting? Squat shoes versus flat, or what are the difference between squat shoes versus flat shoes? A squat shoe is a shoe that has an elevated heel, so anything to do with say AD powers, um, Adidas power lifts, uh, Nike Romaleos, they're sort of the main brands that people use. Uh, and flat shoes are generally considered like deadlift slippers, uh, Chuck Taylors, wrestling shoes, or the like, which um, has zero millimeters of heel drop, which means that your heel is practically flat on the floor. The Squat shoes can potentially compensate for a lack of dorsiflexion. Of course, it, this depends on how you squat. Um, at the end of the day, it comes down to efficiency. What you want to see when you're looking at someone from the side is a vertical bar path and the barbell slash plates are centered roughly around the midfoot. Um, the reason why people use squat shoes um, for squatting, uh, obviously it depends on how you squat, but generally people with longer femur lengths, taller lifters, people who use perhaps a narrower squat stance width or use a high bar variation generally uh, use squat shoes. Um, it, allow, it can potentially allow you to be more upright in the squat pattern itself. So if your goal is to say, maintain a relatively upright torso, then the squat shoes will help with that. Or cyclist squats could help with that. Um, the potential drawbacks to squat shoes, and I perhaps speak with my own experience, is that the heels could actually push your weight too far forward, perhaps onto your forefoot or onto your toes, which can affect your bar path um, and back tightness. But the potential benefit from it is that you could use your quadriceps more. Um, and it also could potentially allow an increased range of motion. So you could actually go all the way down, all the way up. Whereas if you're wearing flats, you probably, you may not be able to go down all the way down, all the way up because your hip mobility may not allow you for that. So it, at the end of the day, it depends on your goal. Um, if your goal is to maximize your strength and performance, then you need to squat in such a manner that you end up having a vertical bar path when you um, go down and up in the squat. And if the squat shoes allow you to do that, go for it. And if the flat shoes allow you to do that, well, that's fine as well. If you end up having roughly the same technique uh, in terms of um, squatting, then pick the variation that feels more comfortable for you. Some people um, end up, or some people feel like using their quadriceps more and they may favor the squat shoes, whereas people with flats, um, roughly not saying it is, but people with flats tend to uh, 
be more hip dominant in the squat, i.e. they generally sit back a little bit more. Um, so that's, that's sort of some things you can think about when you experiment with that. Um, if your goal is to work on your weaknesses, so let's say that you are a a squatter who uses flat shoes and you do sit back a fair bit and you do go into a fair bit of hip flexion and your torso leans forward a fair bit. I guess the a famous example potentially would be Lane Norton. Um, nothing wrong with this squat. Um, I'm not sure if he squats in flats, but I mean, obviously he's got um, fairly sort of long femurs and he does fold a fair bit compared to um, other people. There's nothing wrong with that, works for him, no dramas about that. But if you find that you're, you are sort of doing more of a good morning squat uh, with flat shoes, and then you wear squat shoes and it, everything just feels a bit better, or you feel a bit more upright, you can keep a bit tighter in your upper back, then you might wanna favor your squat shoes. Um, Conversely, if you're wearing squat shoes and you feel like you're tipping forward in the squat, you feel like um, you look at the bar path from the side and the bar path sort of goes down, but then the bar goes down, but then the bar drifts forward. Um, you could potentially benefit from wearing flats, but you would have to consult someone who really knows how to squat to sort of teach you all that stuff because it could just be a technique issue or it could be a mobility issue that you may need to address as well. Um, if you don't have squat shoes or you don't want to drop money for squat shoes, just put a couple of pairs of say five kilo um, weights at the bottom and do it or have a two by four um, piece of wood and go old school bodybuilder and you can do that. So that's that question there. Hopefully that answers that. Um, the next question is, uh, why do your hips rise in the squat? So some people, when they go down and they come up from the bottom of the squat, their hips shoot up first and then their back um, extend after that. And I guess one of the main reasons is, is that your body will find the most efficient way to lift up that weight on your shoulders, given the parameters. You generally use your quads, glutes, and spinal erectors to get up from the bottom of the squat. You also need to maintain some thoracic or upper back extension as well. If you are weak in your quads or glutes, or you lack thoracic extension, then at the end of the day, you will rely on your lower back to lift up the weight. Um, if you want to improve that technique, or if you want to say, take the stress off your lower back, and it is symptomatic, so your lower back's hurting, or your lower back's really jacked up after that, you must find out the weakness and you must address it accordingly. There are ways to go about that. Um, it could be a technique thing as well, so it could be a motor pattern thing, which means that you're just doing it with perhaps an, I wouldn't say incorrect technique, but a suboptimal technique, and so you might need some technique corrections and technique practice. You probably need to, in terms of technique, technique practice, you probably need to perform at least 30 to 60 reps per session um, to get your brain to remember what it's like or to get your brain to groove that new pattern. I myself take about three to four months um, in order to get a new pattern ingrained into my system, but it could potentially come with uh, increased benefits. 
but generally that's that's why your hips rise in the squats because either something's weak and then your lower back just um and then your body puts itself in a position where it uses its lower back and because your lower back's really really strong uh so have a think about that and check you might want to have a quick checklist in terms of your thoracic extension is your thoracic extension adequate are you maintaining that really tight upper back to do that um, are your glutes uh, doing its job at the bottom of the squat um, are your quads doing its job um, is everything timed up properly and again uh, if you have a coach please consult your coach for this the last question is why does foam, foam rolling get a bad reputation is it actually beneficial if it is when should one use it is stretching more superior than foam rolling great Frame rolling gets a bad rep because it's generally used as a passive modality when used for myofascial releases. It has short-term benefits in improving pain and possibly range of motion. Stretching is not superior to frame rolling. They are practically the same thing. They both may elicit some temporary physiological changes, but I think that overall there are no benefit um, over each other. Frame rolling gets a bad reputation because some people like to sit there for half an hour and hump the foam roller and get, feel really good, which is fine, but to each to their own. If you like stretching, do stretching. If you like foam rolling, do foam rolling. Some people like to do both, that's no drama. But if you don't have time and you wanna get in and get the most out of your, say, training or your workout, then I question why you would waste half an hour on the foam roller when could spend even five to ten minutes doing some uh, proper mobility and activation drills to get you going. If you really want to use the foam roller, that's fine. Um, I'd probably use it potentially before a training session, depending on what you're going to do. Um, and I would probably limit the use to less than five minutes. Um, but it has benefited a lot of people. Um, it, I'm sure it has some sort of pain modulation effect. But unfortunately, the changes are temporary. And if you want to elicit uh, more permanent changes in your sort of musculoskeletal system, then you definitely have to do, to do a more active intervention. So you could also use it after, after training. Uh, if you feel like, let's say your lower back's really jacked up um, for some reason or another, and you just want to roll it out, that's fine. That's no drama. You can roll out for one or two minutes um, post, and hopefully that will make your back feel a little bit better. But like I said, if you're not addressing the proper cause of it, you're kind of setting yourself up to failure. So um, not to contradict myself, we do use it for both active and passive interventions. Um, but if we use it for a passive intervention, we always pair it with an active intervention. So for example, I can use the foam roller quite often to improve passive thoracic extension, but then we straight away follow up with a active thoracic extension exercise to make sure your muscles are doing their job in that extra or extra range of motion. So use it or lose it, essentially. That's it for today. Thanks for the questions again. And I look forward to firing more questions away in the future. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Now, don't go off into the sunset and blindly do what I may have said or recommended. Seek proper advice from qualified healthcare professionals. Like, comment, subscribe or book in if you would like us to assist.